It's in there. It's in there. Welcome to the Choya Needle Show, right here at the art shows. Up next is Rose Baldwin, reading poems and stories and singing songs about walking in someone else's shoes. Yes, I wrote a little poem with you in mind. Sunrise. I sat down to write a poem, but nothing came to me. So instead I faced east and drank a cup of tea. It was likely not, I was likely not the cause, but the sun rose in the sky. As it shone, a bolt of light hit me in the eye. <laughs> I thought of you because you like those little poems. Little ones, yeah. And um, I thought that that was nice. Stories too. Uh, uh, Claire, it, uh, Claire is a uh, is an older woman, older than me, and heavier than me as well. Um, but she goes to the senior center. She writes stories and poems. This is this is Carl's story as he as he still tells it today. Carl and some of the others had never invited the few women who'd worked in his department to the semi-annual reunions. But now, with wives dying or walking away from marriages that ex had exhausted themselves, the dwindling number of attend and dwindling number of attendees in general as men had one way or another moved on. Indifference had turned to curiosity and necessity came to outweigh objections. A minimum, a minimum group size was required in order to qualify for the private room with the view and getting the women to attend would help with that, just as hiring them had silent, silent HR's complaints about needing diversity years ago. He was about to disconnect by the time she answered. Melanie, he said, it's Carl Swanson from IBM. He took a deep breath and continued the speech he'd rehearsed. We're having a former employee reunion at the New Porter Inn in three weeks. We'd sure love to see you. Oh, Bill told me Vicki is coming. Carl? Really? Yeah! How are you? Come, we can catch up. Uh, Carl, you were a terrible boss. You were never a friend. Vicki and I were groped, laughed at, teased, and embarrassed. You encouraged it. You didn't compliment our work, even when we ranked first and second in sales, for months at a time. And Carl, you never apologized. It was a different time, he said. Things change. Carl, I don't care what happened to you. Don't you call again, she said, and hung up. <laughs> Sheesh. Women sure had gotten uppity. Sure he'd <laughs> teased those girls. But why couldn't they get over it? It was a long time ago. Ever since his divorce, he'd had to put up with this attitude. There was that Meg. Maggie went out with. When his ED acted up, he told her the truth. 
that he liked younger women. He figured an old gal would know that she wasn't really all that good looking anymore and understand. But what does Meg do? Without missing a beat, she says, yeah, right, because dating a retired copier salesman who has a flat old man butt and skinny legs and can't drive at night is just what every woman in her prime dreams of. <laughs> it really hurt when she said that. How could she be so mean? And who did she think she was anyway? She was an old woman, only seven or eight years younger than he was. She should have been grateful for the attention. He didn't call Meg again, and he wouldn't call Melanie either. The night of the reception, Carl was next to the greeter's table when Vicky walked in. She looked better than he'd expected. He waved to get her attention and thought she looked happy to see him. Yes, he could do this. He put out his hand as she approached. Vicki, I think I may need to apologize to you for the teasing that went on when we worked together. Oh, she said, ignoring his hand. Those were different times. Things change. I've moved on. That's what I'm talking about, he thought. Vicki always was the nice one. She shifted her weight, and he thought she was going to hug him. He imagined holding her tight enough to enjoy the feel of her breast against him. But she didn't hug him. She patted his shoulder with one hand and reached around him for a name tag with the other. Her breast didn't even touch him. And then she was gone, off to hug Bill, one of the younger men who had defended the girls and called them women, leaving him, the former boss of them all, standing red-faced with his arms spread and after he'd apologized. Bitch. <laughs> That's yeah. why I like your, your, uh, <laughs> your Claire story, because the honesty, I mean, that's what people are really like that. <laughs> this is real. That was my dad. Oh, that's a lot of guys, and, and sadly, they don't, even now, I mean, they don't, there's no sense in being mean to them or, or, or trying to correct them. They think they're right. They think they're right. Of course, there's Stanley. Stanley is my favorite. You've heard Stanley. Stanley was an old man who thought that he was young. He chased women half his age and asked them out for fun. They thought that he was harmless, gave him rides to stock his larder. They'd share a glass of wine with him, but then they fled his ardor. <laughs> no, no, they whispered to him. A friend, but nothing more. He never understood what drove them to the door. I'm not good with women, he told everyone. No one had the heart to say, Stanley, they're too young. Gals his own age liked him, made him casseroles and pie. But Stanley just kept looking until the day he died. <laughs> and this is, and Claire is, I sit down and write a poem with lonely, mad, or sad, for in the quiet of that work my scarred heart can laugh. 
When my neighbor's poodle on my lawn did shit, I wrote a little verse instead of throw a fit. <laughs> when I crossed the street too slow and that driver yelled a zinger, all that I could think about were words that rhyme with finger. <laughs> That's Claire. <laughs> Claire joins a poetry club. During the wellness checkup performed just after her 70th birthday, Claire Wilson's doctor tells her to lose 20 pounds. Coming from generations of plump women who lived well into her 90s, she knows how to nod as if she's listening and ignore him. She remembers her grandmother doing it, and her mother, and even her Aunt Maddie before her mind went soft. She listens more closely when he tells her to engage in mentally stimulating activities and maintain a social network. He says, isolation kills. Claire enjoys her own company. Even her late husband marveled at how little social interaction she needed. Having recently moved, the doctor's words remind her that she needs to put some effort into making new friends. It seems fortuitous that the next day her neighbor tells her about the Valley Poetry Club. So she goes to a general meeting. She learns that the club has three groups and is introduced to their leaders. The Tuesday group is for people who write poems that rhyme. The Wednesday and Thursday groups, group leaders talk about free verse experimental, new school, avant-garde. The one dictum the West Wednesday and Thursday group share is that their poems don't rhyme, ever, at all. Claire decides she likes poems that rhymes, and that is what she wants to write. She also likes the Tuesday group leader, who seems happier than the others. There are five women already in the group. They are welcoming, supportive, and helpful, and they show Claire ways to improve her work. Over time, she also makes suggestions to them. Claire considers it a success when a short poem she's written appears in the newsletter of the seniors' community where she lives. She makes copies of it and sends them to people who wouldn't see it otherwise. The poem is Aging. Though my crown's still brown, my pubes are turning gray. But I can't really see it. My belly's in the way. <laughs> The other is in the Tuesday group, like the poem too, and are excited about the public acknowledgement of what they call her growing talent. Claire is hurt when members of the Wednesday and Thursday groups criticize the poem and decry her mention of her membership in the Valley Poetry Club in the short bio that accompanies its publication. That's not poetry, one says. That's a limerick, says another. It's an embarrassment, says a third. 
Given the chance, she would tell them that a limerick is in fact a type of poem, and technically aging has only four lines, and a limerick generally has five and a different rhyming scheme. She'd, she'd explain that for seniors, the physical changes that accompany the passage into old age are both terrifying and funny. She'd argue that fear and humor are the essence of poignancy, and that makes agent aging a poem. But she isn't given the opportunity to defend her work. At the next Valley Poetry Club general meeting, Myrna from the Thursday group announces that the board of directors has passed a resolution that no men members should mention their club affiliation in a bio without a prior board approval. <laughs> she explains, including the club's name in the bio suggests that it approves the work. Then only authors of real poems Serious poems should be allowed to include the mention of their Valley Poetry Club membership in their bio. Outnumbered, the Tuesday group members accept, accept the decision. They let their memberships in the Valley Poetry Club lapse and refer to themselves as the Tuesday Poetry Group for purposes of group identification in bios and conversation. Over time, three people from the Valley Poetry Club see their work published. Each receives one or two free copies of the publication in which their work appears and frequent requests for donations to support the publication's mission of acknowledging poets at all levels. One member wins first prize in a contest and her work is in the sponsor's webpage for one whole month. No one from the Tuesday Poetry Group ever wins an award, but their work routinely appears in the HOA newsletters around town. An editor from the local newspaper asked them to submit poems to him. Their work proves popular and they become a regular weekly feature. For the first time, they are paid for poems. Not much, just enough for one good or two decent bottles of wine per week. But they are old ladies who meet in the afternoon, and that is enough. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever wondered why people live in the desert? I'm Dawn Davis, and I host Desert Lady Diaries podcast. It's a weekly conversation with women who found their home in the Mojave Desert. Each week, I talk to women who were either born and raised in the desert or felt called to come here and what the desert means to them. You can learn more about the podcast and listen at DesertLadyDiaries.com. This is uh, Claire Learns to be Old. It took many lessons for Claire to learn to be old. To be fair, it isn't as easy as most people think. Her first notable lesson came when she was only 36 or 7. At the hardware store, a cute clerk started flirting. He looked younger, but not so young. And anyway, he started it, and then went on and on, teasing her about the details of her do-it-yourself project. 
Finally, she suggested he come to her house and help. That's when he struck. It's amazing, he said. You remind me so much of my mother. <laughs> it felt like a gut punch, and she knew her face showed it. No, 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 he said. My mother is real young. She was only 15 when I was born. And she's pretty, really, really pretty. <laughs> if, as if anything he could say would restore that playful mood. Over time, there were other incidents. Young women said things such as, gosh, I bet you were pretty when you were young. <laughs> or they would innocently point out her laps in stylishness, saying, I remember when those were popular, <laughs> while referring to her most recent purchase. <laughs> or her favorite, I hope I look like you when I'm old. Oh. They meant to flatter. Sometimes she could almost laugh about it. Then came that birthday when even Claire was shocked to realize how old she'd actually gotten. <laughs> it seemed impossible that it could be true. But later that week, the doctor, young enough to be her grandchild, confirmed it by giving her advice on how to maintain vitality and health into old age. Exercise, she said, was important. At the gym, Claire squarely confronted her limitations. Skinny women with taut muscles dashed in, jumped on an elliptical machine for a few minutes and dashed out, never having broken a sweat, while she worked out diligently and remained flabby. The weightlifters were nice to her. A couple of them commented on her persistence, <laughs> not mentioning the five-pound weight she used or her need to hold on to something for balance. <laughs> One of the older guys even suggested Claire join he and his girlfriend for a three-way. Oh. Though she did not pursue the opportunity, she was grateful for the offer. It had been a long time since she'd received such a proposition. <laughs> Claire felt flattered when a, women, when a woman bodybuilder struck up a conversation. She'd watched and admired her and even copied, as best she could, parts of her workout routine. They talked easily about exercises and diet strategies. Then, just as Claire had begun to feel as if they were peers, the woman said, I wish I could get my mother to work out. Oh. Claire did her best to keep her voice easy and the hurt off her face. Tell her she'll be able to open jars <laughs> and walk downstairs without feeling like she's going to fall, she said, wondering if she'd ever accept that women thought, ever accept that though she still felt young, others saw her as an old woman. Then it happened. Near the end of a poetry writing workshop, when each student met with the instructor, Claire knew she was being pa patronized when the teacher called her work sweet. The poem she'd written for the workshop was about a long-suffering woman who stabbed her husband 27 times <laughs> in his sleep. Hardly a sweet topic, even if the poem did rhyme. 
As the conversation finished, the teacher added insult to injury, professing her admiration for Claire's spunkiness and pronouncing Claire her adopted mother. That was the day Claire accepted that people saw her as old. For though she wanted to say, if you were my daughter, I'd tell you to get a decent bra, (laughs) she didn't. (laughs) She just smiled, a sweet old lady sort of smile. A look she realized for the first time wasn't sweet at all, but all about knowing that time has a way of settling scores. (laughs) Yes, Claire knew the teacher would get hers as we all do, one way or the other. The next week, she went to the senior center, where there were others who knew that, too. (laughs) This is Sally's San Bernardino guy. It was many years ago that I was so in love But he's the man who on this day I am thinking of. And remember how he smelled and his spasms when he came. But you know for the life of me, I can't think (laughs) of his name. I remember he was funny and laughed at my jokes too. Smart and sweet, he liked to talk and spin a tale or two. He turned a lot of heads with his hair so thick and wavy. Even all, though all that is clear, his name, <laughs> that escapes me. We ate at the Castaways and danced, and danced at the D.I. By day we hiked on mountains. At night we searched the sky. How did I let him get away, this beautiful heartthrob? I'd look for him on Google if... Wait, was his name Bob? (laughs) I thought we'd love forever and share happiness galore. With slights and hurts, we grew apart until we spoke no more. At the end, I felt carved out, my heart wounded and lame. Even now, I wonder when I think of what's his name. (laughs) 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 I want to hear the story. Claire missing Manny. Claire Wilson wakes wondering, as she has before, why there isn't mouse-flavored cat food. After performing minimal ablutions, she pulls on her exercise clothes and starts her morning walk. The mouse-flavored cat food idea occupying her thoughts. When her Aunt Maddie had been alive, Claire would talk with her about this sort of thing. They appreciated each other's humor. Sometimes they laughed so hard they'd get stitches in their sides. Occasionally, one or the other would wet herself. But since Maddie's death, Claire has no one to share her ideas with. The mouse-flavored cat food question originally came to her at a pet supply store, and she mentioned it to a woman there. The woman's response had seemed playful. She said, you're thinking mouse stew? (laughs) Claire said, yes, and maybe rodent medley. 
<laughs> but the woman had not been amused. She started telling Claire how many small animals and birds were killed each year by cats. Shortly, her eye began to twitch and a vein pulsed in her forehead. Then she yelled that cats are killers, and the next thing Claire would want to do was feed them morning doves in hummingbird broth. <laughs> Embarrassed, Claire escaped as quickly as she could. She'd learned long ago that some of her ideas pe set people off. She didn't understand why, but she knew they did. Claire considered this confrontation worth the effort because she appropriated the woman's idea. Morning doves in hummingbird Brilliant. <laughs> Her own ideas were based on canning pets, but turning morning doves and hummingbirds into cat food was decadent. It was thrilling to consider. She wished Maddie was here to tell. When Maddie had realized she was sick, she'd made Claire promise to cremate her remains and spread the ashes someplace nice. An idea that sounds simple, but then isn't. Some might have found a pretty place and put the ashes there. To Claire, Maddie had been too indomitable to put in any one place, no matter how as a solution, she carried Maddie's ashes with her and left some here and some there. The mechanics had worked themselves out the day she found the small vial with a shaker top in her sewing kit. That the shaker was already half full of red glitter did not faze her. She simply added as much ash as space allowed. The ash and glitter mixed easily. Dispersal was a delight. She liked seeing the twinkle in the air as she shook out the ashes and glitter. She looked for sparkles on the ground when she returned to places where she'd left ashes in the past. This morning, she heads for the trail that runs along the edge of what is a flood control wash when needed and a golf course the rest of the time. The trail is separated from the course by a metal fence so anyone can enjoy the, the view, but the rabble is caught, kept off the course. Had she been alive today, had she been alive today, Maddie would have voiced her wonder about whether those private clubs behind the metal fence paid for the use of the public land they obviously occupied. Claire smiles, thinking about it. As she walks, Claire imagines the two of them joking about cat food and canning brown mice versus white, white versus white, wild caught versus farm raised, free range versus caged, <laughs> and there would be the organic mice raised without chemicals, hormones, or antibiotics, and of course morning doves in hummingbird sauce. Claire reaches the place she considers the best outlook. She is delighted to see the glitter under the big tree on the, on the golf course side of the fence and proud of her long reach. 
Moving on, she imagines, imagines that she and Maddie met a, might have come up with a, with chipmunk souffle and, and ragu of squirrel. She reaches the shaded spot where the bench is. Today it is empty, but there are often people sitting there. It is a good spot for eavesdropping, one of Maddie's favorite things. Claire finds a scattered, uh, sheltered place nearby and shakes out some ash and glitter. Yes, Claire thinks. She, yes, Claire likes this and thinks it does justice to Maddie. She also noted, notes the three to one ratio of ashes to glitter is the best. Watching the sparkles fall to the ground, she says, I missed you every day. I think of you every time I walk by this spot. I wish you were here. Clara is st startled when a hummingbird flies past, then returns and hovers near her face. Little hummingbird, you should stay away from people, you, she says. People might swing at you, and one good swat would kill you dead. The bird flies around in the circle and then right back in front of Claire's face. Little bird, what do you think you're doing, she says. Then she hears the morning dove. The hummingbird flies in close, then backs away, then flies around in a small spiral and back toward her while the morning dove coos in the background. Claire looks down at the vial in her hand. Oh, Maddie, you always like the dramatic, she says. Got any other ideas? A crow flies over the path and lands high in the tree off to her left, cawing the whole while. Claire laughs, of course, for, Siamo for Siamese who speak Rhyming poem about the guy that got stabbed 27 times. <laughs> the sweet poem. The, the sweet poem. Yes. The sweet poem. <laughs> podcast could picture that facial expression there at the end. <laughs> <laughs>